welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, New Living Translation. Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to another episode of Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. Today, we're going to hear the story of someone whose life is a testimony to the power of the Bible and to the power the Bible brings to our lives. As Anchored by Truth listeners know, we believe that there are four lines of evidence that demonstrate that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. First, the Bible is historically reliable. Second, the Bible displays a remarkable unity for a book that was composed by over three dozen human authors who wrote over a span of 1,500 years. Third, the Bible gives evidence of supernatural origin, especially through a large body of fulfilled prophecy. And the fourth line of evidence is that the Bible has resulted in an untold number of lives that have been positively changed by its transcendent message. So today, we're going to hear the story of one of those lives. In the studio today, we have Candy Coates. Candy had a full career of her own, at first with the state of Florida, and then in her own consulting practice. And she helped her husband with his successful legal practice. And most importantly of all, has raised two children who have strong and solid Christian faiths of their own, which, as everyone knows, is becoming increasingly more challenging in a world and culture that rejects truth itself. So let's welcome Candy Coates to Anchored by Truth. Candy, would you like to say a word of greeting to the Anchored by Truth audience and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm grateful for the program. It's just a wonderful addition to the community. I live in Tallahassee, and we've lived here over 40 years, and we just love it. It's a great place to raise a family, a great community. We have great friends, and my husband and I enjoy living here. I have a great Sunday school teacher who is also anchored in the Word and a delight who has taught us so much. I did grow up in Cross City, Florida. I got a degree from Florida Southern College in Lakeland. I worked 30 years here in Tallahassee. I've been a faithful servant, hopefully, all this time. have loved my community, try to give back. Met my husband here. We've been married 35 years, and we have two children. Our kids have had great friends of their own. I try to serve at hospice now that I'm not working outside the home and really enjoy this community. It has a lot of good, faithful, wonderful people. Very blessed to live here. Candy, you came by your faith the old-fashioned way. You grew up in the small town of Cross City, Florida, and you were blessed enough to be part of a family that had a strong history of faithfulness to Christ. Tell us about growing up in Cross City. I was really blessed to grow up in Cross City, Florida. Absolute blessing. Small town near the Suwannee River, but the people are the salt of the earth. They're faithful. They're hard workers. A lot of fun growing up in Cross City, Florida. Everybody knew everybody. 
and everybody cared about everybody. You truly had a community of faith that were all about serving Him and helping each other. I was just very blessed to grow up in a caring, hardworking community. Growing up in Cross City was a mixture of, you know, being a child and enjoying the company of friends and family and church family. And it was about hard work and participating because especially my father believed in you have to live something to learn it. And one of the big themes of our home was having a servant's heart. And it wasn't so much said with specific words, but the thought was expressed in abundant ways. And there was a lot of emphasizing of that thought that you have to serve others to learn a servant's heart. In other words, you have to live it to learn it. And so we went to school and there was an expectation that we would maximize our gifts. And of course, we were reminded those gifts were from the Savior. But there was an expectation that we all excel with the gifts and graces we were provided. And there was a clear understanding that that was our mission. Everybody individually and then together as a team, a family team. So we knew that whatever we did, we were expected to do it to the glory of God and knock it out of the ballpark kind of thing. In some of our earlier conversations, you've told us that your father and mother made building a devotion to Christ as a disciplined process at your house. Your father and mother didn't just talk about their faith in Jesus and in the Bible, but they lived it out, faith, every day. What were your days at home like? We would get up in the morning and have a hot breakfast and have devotion with an upper room and the parallel scripture that went with it, and then we would go to school and come home in the afternoons and kind of have a little bit of R&R and then do our chores and then have some playtime and then supper time. And everybody ate at the table together. And we said the supper prayer together and spoke of our day with each other. And it would many times result in at least two members of the family stating how the devotion that morning had impacted their day or how something happened in the day that reminded them of our devotion time in the morning. So it was really just a wonderful childhood. You were fortunate enough to grow up in a family where faith and Christ were emphasized. But your father was not just a strong Christian. He was also a very successful businessman. How did his faith influence his business activities? He certainly was faithful. His faith was great and it was practiced in his work. His faith influenced his business because it was really the cornerstone of all of his business. And he had at least five businesses going at all times in the 45 years he worked. I mean, he was still going to work with a tile at 79 years of age. He was a land developer. He was a banker. At one point, he was the youngest banker in the state of Florida because my grandfather had suddenly died. He owned a movie theater. He did construction. And he was very involved in the community, very invested He was the president of the Chamber of Commerce for many years, and he brought our first dentist to the area and our first doctor. He loved Dixie County and really reinvested in it at all times. And he was so much fun. He prayed for everything and everyone. He was very much a caretaker. He cared, first of all, for the Savior, and that was number one in his life and in all our lives growing up. And number two, he cared for not just his family, but his family of community. And he cared for the college he went to. He was just a caretaker and continued to care for others even after his passing. 
One of the things I remember about Dad and the degree to which he cared was I walked in on him one time at the bank and I said, Oh, Dad, are you okay? I wondered something had happened to him. He was on the floor. He was literally on his knees praying for the clients, the employees. I said, Oh, Dad, you have me worried. I was concerned. He said, Oh, no, I do this every morning. That's who Dad was. And he always made it very easy for the community to approach him or speak to him or transact business with him. I never remember him ever turning away someone who was having a challenge or needed to see him. The most I'd ever seen him do is say, can you call me Monday morning and we'll make time. I'll talk to you about this. You know, call my office and we'll make time and we'll figure it out. He was, you know, the entire spectrum of mankind. And when I was a child, he was so helpful in encouraging my sister and I to learn as we go. And so he would teach us how to make Coca-Colas such that the client was sure to get the maximum amount of beverage and not be cheated or shortchanged on their beverage by putting too much ice in the cup. So he had great attention to details. So he wanted to do the right thing in the big picture and also in the mechanics of the day to day. My father worked tirelessly. He really served his community. He wouldn't have had it any other way. To not be a servant is not who he was. So in every facet of his life, he just was happy to serve and was a joyous servant. Here's a good example. There was a military man. I want to say he was in the Air Force. Family friend of a long time. He had a wife and I want to say three children. Could be four. Large family. He wasn't being paid enough in our military. And he came into the bank with an antique shotgun, and he brought it to my father and said, Malin, if you can use this as collateral, I need to borrow some money for my family. And my father said to him, you need not bring me that. I know you're good for it. And he proceeded to draw up papers for him to loan him some money. But out of that came a one-man committee meeting of my father, and he was a force to be reckoned with when he had his teeth into an issue that he felt the Lord was leading him to do. And certainly from then on, he was in this letter-writing campaign at the time because there was no electronic communication. But he was on it because he said, any man of God who is serving this country ought to be paid enough to feed his family. And he really went about making a difference on that over the next, you know, goodly long period of time. And I was very thankful for that. How did your parents help you develop an appreciation for the value of hard work and integrity? I think it was apparent, even as a child, that they were successful because their cornerstone was faith. You know, so their businesses of whatever nature were flourishing because they were committed to not only doing the right thing, but being who God called them to be. And so their actions really spoke volumes to us. It was kind of an expectation growing up that we do whatever we do to the glory of God and knock it out of the ballpark. It didn't matter if we pumped gas or picked up limbs in the yard or whatever we were doing, there was an expectation of excellence. How did your upbringing influence your love for the Bible? Because the Bible was always treated as the primary authority in our home, it remained that my entire life. Because it was the go-to for direction, you know, a light into my path, a lamp into my feet. It was just where you go to know what the gold standard was for whatever your issue was. When you went away to college, did you continue the pattern of Bible study and devotion which you had learned at home? 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I was very blessed to go to a college that had worship service and convocation and this type of thing. So I kept my daily devotion and my weekly worship all throughout college and was very blessed to have a great number of faithful friends who did the same. Did college add any pressures to you? Any stories you remember, maybe pressures you faced in college by having non-Christian friends? Yes. I had learned growing up through my family different methodologies or techniques for presenting the faith in the Savior without being offensive to others. So, you know, one of the things our Father would always stress was the provision in Exodus that says, stand up for Christ, but you need not be confrontational to do so. So I tried to keep falling back on those techniques when I was confronted with pushback, it would be called today. Candy, when you began your working career, how did you apply the lessons you learned from your father? To apply the lessons that my father taught us in your professional life is just to maintain the primary core of what your faith's about. Keep your integrity. Keep your truthfulness. Go ahead and perform. You can't ask someone to do what you're not already doing. These kind of practices would employ the same thing in mine, and it worked. Well, as you have said, Your father's faith was so much the cornerstone of his business practices that at one point your father was forced to deal with an unfortunate situation at the bank because of those principles. One of the bank's longtime employees had unfortunately done something that compromised his own integrity, and your father knew that to preserve the bank's integrity, he had to do something about it. Could you please tell us about that incident? Oh, yes. One lesson I'm thinking of in my dad that he experienced, and I realize now that it was very challenging for him. And as usual, his first response or his first approach to anything would be to pray about it. And we had a situation in the bank where he was the CEO. He brought in a president to run the bank and help him with this because we were growing as we should. And he hired a young man, a delightful man from Noonan, Georgia, who had gone to the Birmingham School of Banking, I believe, and was just really good in his profession and his lovely wife. And they came to our community and worked in the bank and became part of the community, a very functioning, happy, wonderful part of our community for a goodly number of years. And we enjoyed that because the work family of the bank was a family, as was the community. And our personal families were close, and we enjoyed it. It was just a great blessing of friendship and work combined. But after a number of years, we had a situation that took place that my father had to address. And so we had our bank president that we loved that was essentially family. And we had a situation where there was basically broken promises, broken commitments, and infidelity. It was very painful for the bank as a business, the bank as a family, the community, our family, personally. It was just very challenging. Our bank president had an affair, and I believe the woman was an employee at the bank at the time. And so my father had to address this as the CEO. He didn't have, you know, a choice not to address it. And so he prayerfully approached it, of course, and very quickly rendered his decision that he felt like was the right one. My father gave a speech to the bank that really outlined the premise of the action he was taking. This is what's transpired, and this is what we're doing about it, and this is why. In order to have integrity, we have to act with integrity. And this is what the occasion's calling for. There'll be better days ahead, and we're all going to shoulder this together. 
and he appreciated the reaction that people had and the sadness that they felt because he was experiencing the same thing, of course. He was speaking about integrity. And he says, look, you don't get to ride the fence as a Christian. You have to live a life of integrity. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's the most comfortable approach. It rarely is. But we don't pray for comfort. We pray for effectiveness and obedience. So when what you do is about integrity, as a banker, you know, integrity is everything. What you're doing on behalf of the banking industry has to have high integrity. So you always have to take the high road. This is how it works. And so you have to walk the walk. You can't just say you're one thing and not actually follow through with it. And this was one of those times where it was difficult to follow through, but it was what needed doing and had to be done, and it was done. And the bank president was let go. So a new chapter of our lives developed as a result of that. So it was really traumatic for everybody. But it brought blessings in a new kind of way. I say this in to describe how mysterious God is in the way He works. But He is always perfectly timed. So what seems like a very tumultuous, horrific time for us, we have to keep faith and trust in Him that He is the perfecter of things. He takes scraps and messes and brings them to His glory. This was one of the instances in which I feel like the Lord was really doing that. He was taking this, you know, very difficult situation that had no good facts in it. And over time, his timing used it to his glory. One of the ways that faith in the Bible played out in my childhood when I was incredibly small, we had a special instance in our family wherein my uncle was raised with us as though he were my brother. And I did not know until I was older that he was my uncle. But it was my mother's younger brother, and my grandmother had passed in early 40s of breast cancer. So my parents raised my uncle as their own. And as a teenager, he got a wild hair and decided to thumb his ride out west to work in Jackson Hole and didn't tell my parents where he was going. So you can imagine their concern of his well-being. Where was he? There were no cell phones, no easy way to stay in contact, and he was gone all summer. He came back in the fall, and he knocked on the kitchen door one evening, and my sister and I were already in our pajamas, and my mother was frying chicken on the back porch for supper. And so our uncle knocked on the door and put his finger up to his mouth and said to us girls, be real quiet, don't let your mother know I'm here. And we said, okay. He says, just ask her if she has a meal for a bum on the street who just happens to be hungry. And we laughed and giggled and said, are you kidding? And he said, oh, no, no, go tell her exactly what we said. We said, okay. So my sister and I walked to the back porch and said, hey, there's a bum on the carport who says he needs a good family meal. He's really hungry. And, of course, my mother had grave look on her face and was very concerned. She said, does he look harmful? And we said, oh, no, he doesn't look harmful at all. And so she came to the kitchen door and burst out in tears that her brother was safe and sound. And they hugged each other, and there were, you know, tears flowing never. And my mother began to shout, Thank you, Savior. Thank you, Savior. (laughs) He got the meal, and he got a (laughs) hug and a welcome home. And it reminded me of the coat of many colors. You know, he had the fatted calf for supper, and my mother was ever thankful that he returned. And then my father had a bit of a stern talk with him when he returned in the evening about putting them in such concern for so long. But he wound up with God's direction, I'm sure, being a physician's assistant for 40 years, helping many and praying for all his patients. 
So talk about the residual blessings of being anchored are many. Another one of the ways I thought Dad showed such faithfulness was on a weekend, like a Saturday evening. We'd already, you know, had our baths and we're in our little pajamas. And my father had on a pair of boxers and an old man T-shirt. But there was a knock at the door. And so we answered it, and it was a logger, and he was covered from head to toe in turpentine. But he reached in his pocket and pulled out a wad of bills. And he said, I know, Mr. Malam, I'm behind in my payments, but I came to pay you what I have today. And my father said, Oh, Joe, it's okay. said, I know about your mother being in the hospital, and we've been praying for her. And he said, I appreciate that. And Dad said, you just call the office, and we'll set up an appointment sometime this week that works for you, and I'm sure we can work it out. At which time, you know, the logger would make a payment to my dad, and my dad would put it in an envelope and take it to work on Monday. And I would give the logger man a big hug, and he would get back in his big semi and pull out of our yard. But this frequently happened, that business was transacted in our personal home over the course of a lifetime. It was just part of the way we lived and our community functioned. And it was just such a blessing. I realize now that there was a great deal of trust in that community, a great deal of love, and a great deal of respect for God and His rules and His Word. Another fond memory I have of how the Bible shows itself, the authority of it, through people who are truly and diligently committed to seeking Him. After church on a Sunday afternoon, our organist would come up to me and say, okay, we had a local newspaper that was only published once a week. And at that time, they would print the menu in the cafeteria and grades of children. And I had gotten a B-plus in math. So the organist came up to me and said, what'd your daddy say about that grade in math? And I'd be like, it was a B-plus, people. It was a (laughs) B-plus, you know. But I realized, of course, later as I matured that that was just an act of pure love and true commitment and concern. They spoke about it because they cared. And that's invaluable to be able to grow up with that kind of community love and support that is so biblically based. There are so many daily challenges that we have now that we did not have then. And I might say noise, and I'm not talking about literal noise, but interference between us and living purposefully. And so we probably need to employ the word no a little more and set our purposeful priorities and stick with them and don't try to fit them in our free time, but make them the priority and other things follow suit. Well, Candy, before we close out today, I think it's important for the Anchored by Truth audience to know that you are going to help us do an Anchored by Truth series, which we are calling Raising Christian Kids in a Creepy Culture. And you are highly qualified to help us because you actually did that. Can you give our audience just a few tips about some of the most important points to raising Christian kids in a creepy culture? One of the most important points for raising kids in a creepy culture is consistency. Have a daily devotion and be consistent about it. Keep the faith yourself and remember the joy to being faithful because it has so many joyous blessings. But consistency. Have a devotional time with your children sometime during the day and do so purposefully on a routine basis. Candy, do you have any final thoughts for the Anchored by Truth audience for today? Perhaps thoughts about things for which you're particularly grateful? 
exceedingly grateful to be on the program and just joyous that there is a program that focuses on the function of the Bible and how it brings joy to people's lives as long as they diligently seek Him. I'm very thankful for this program. We'd really like to thank Candy Coates for being our guest on Anchored by Truth today. I think we can all be inspired by the kind of faith that her family displayed in Cross City. Candy came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by way of being raised in a strong Christian family. And while we don't all start out that way, all it takes to have a saving relationship with Jesus is to acknowledge our sin and acknowledge our need for a Savior. Candy's life after her conversion has yielded a bountiful harvest for the Lord and continues to yield blessings to a great many, even today. Candy's story is just one more example of how sacred scripture, the Bible, continues to demonstrate its supernatural nature through lives that are changed for the better for all eternity by its saving power. We hope you'll be with us in the future when we continue our discussion with Candy. Today, for our closing prayer, Let's listen to a prayer for first responders, the brave men and women in our communities who step up in dangerous situations to help keep us safe and healthy. We should all be grateful to have neighbors who are willing to put service to others above their concern for their own safety and well-being. A prayer for first responders. Almighty, gracious, and heavenly Father, we come to you because you are a great God and a merciful God. Lord, we seek your face and your favor for our brothers and sisters who today selflessly perform jobs where they place the health and safety of others above their own. We are so grateful, Lord, that in our community and in every community in our nation, there are brave men and women willing to serve as police officers, firefighters, paramedics, and other first responders. We thank you for each and every one of them, and we pray that you would be their constant companion and guard. Lord, we know that they have all accepted the call to serve a cause greater than themselves. In doing so, they are following the supreme example of your Holy Son, Christ Jesus, who always placed the well-being of his followers over his own. We pray that our first responders will enjoy the blessing of knowing that you are not only their strength, but their Savior. We pray that the peace of Christ that passes all understanding would enable them to be strong in their work and service. We pray everything we do and they do would serve to bring glory and honor to your name. We thank you that you have given us a part in your great work. All this we ask in the name of your precious Son and our Lord, Christ Jesus. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is.
And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support. Are you hungry for truth? Most people are today. Between changing social standards, cultural chaos, and denominational deviance, confusion is sweeping over our community like a tsunami. Will we be swept away, or will we be anchored by truth? At Crystal Sea, our passion is the Bible. The Bible came from the mind of God. The words of God are powerful in truth and love. God will give us peace and strength as we honor His Word. At Crystal Sea Books, we believe the Bible can be a dynamic part of adventure stories, lyrical rhythms, and even humor, as well as inspire our prayers and meditations. That's why Crystal Sea Books is so pleased to offer an all-ages adventure story. Doors of Destiny, a choice orb tale. Many readers have compared the adventure and engagement of Doors of Destiny to the timeless treasures of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And getting a copy of Doors of Destiny couldn't be easier. Just go to crystalcbooks.com and use the link. That's crystalcbooks, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, books, B-O-O-K-S, dot com. In Doors of Destiny, the Bible's timeless wisdom is captured in an amazing adventure story that is suitable for all ages. Build your faith as you travel highways and byways that extend beyond the veil of eternity. Get your own copy of Doors of Destiny today. At Crystal Sea Books, we're not perfect, but our boss is.